I don't really have any banter, but that's okay because we haven't recorded in a while. Okay, let's start. On to our stories. Uh, I'll go first. Okay. Okay. So this story was going to be uh, different, but I didn't like read into it before because I like to be a little bit surprised when I'm writing it, right? So it turned out different. It's interesting. Yeah, I try to avoid the end. Yeah, unless I, I unless it's end. like a paranormal one and I'm like, okay, I need to make sure there's at least enough well, so, good paranormal stuff. So what stuff. happened was when I was doing the research for the my like, my witches mm-hmm. that I did, my Illinois witches for Halloween this, this last yeah. year in 2022, um, there were a few of them where I was like, that story looks like it should be, I can do more in-depth stuff. It's not going to be like, you know, a paragraph and a half. Um, and this felt like one of them. It turned out it wasn't, but I was like really invested into it by the time I got to like the actual story portion. Um, so you're going to learn a lot about... I mean, um, I guess I do that a lot, too, because I'll do a lot of just, like, locations that I like, or, yeah. like, a story I like, and then I'm like, here's the two paranormal things. <laughs> yeah. No. And, like, Sorry. I don't feel like I wasted my time writing this. It just might not be what you expected, right? I mean, maybe we should start putting in our bio that it's also, like, history. Because we both well, like history. Yeah, no. But, like, I feel like it's implied and with paranormal nice and with, with true thunder crime. And frightening is that it's not necessarily yeah. implying it's one specific well, I thing. Wanted it's it just, just things that are yeah. on, just no good, man. A little spooky, scary, upsetting. Stormy. A little stormy. <laughs> thing. So, my sources for this one um, are. Witchcraft in Illinois, a cultural history um, by Michael Clean. I didn't read the whole book. I just read an excerpt that he had online, and it happened to be the part that, like, I needed for my base research, Uh, as always, Wikipedia. Um, Black Pest, which is a website that provided a translation of the 1924 Louisiana Code Noir, um, which is, like, a legal document, a French legal document for when they were the... um, colonial power in charge of the middle of the North American continent. Um, uh, Country Road magazine article, A Conversation with a High Priest of Voodoo by Alexandra Kennan, um, which quotes Roby, it's Roby Gilmore, Um, I've met this man in real life, that is how you say his name. (laughs) Um, And then D-R-L-O-I-H journal.blogspot.com which is like the Illinois Historical Society's like academic journal. Okay. Um, okay. So we're going to start with some history. Like always. <laughs> so sometime before 1920, Philip Francois Renault, a French entrepreneur, bought between 200 and 500 enslaved people from Santo Domingo um, on the island of Hispaniola, which is, like, the current capital of the Dominican Republic, in case you okay. weren't aware of where that was. Nope. Because the island is called Hispaniola, and then the Dominican Republic is on half, and then I think Haiti is on the other half. I'm not good at geography. I think it's Haiti. It's, you know, that's, that's island of Hispaniola. Anyway, so we're not bought these hundreds of enslaved, brought these hundreds of enslaved people to Fort Deschartes, um, which is on the Mississippi River um, in modern-day Monroe County, Illinois. You can still visit the fort today. They do... uh, They have some fun events that happen there. Um, So, Renault brought all of these people to the frontier, which it was the frontier at the time that he did this. There's nobody else there. Like, nobody else. Um, 
except for making what years people's maybe 17 20 oh yeah like like why was like, he in illinois he's like an he explorer wanted to make he wanted to find silver and gold kid you not he was <laughs> no. doing that early colonial dream of opening some silver and gold mines um silver and you might and gold. <laughs> you might know southern illinois is not necessarily known for their production of silver um what was his name cornelius <laughs> Yukon Cornelius. Yeah, so he, he was he, a wannabe Yukon Cornelius. Yeah, he wanted for to Houston, start like a bad guy compared a to a precious metals mining industry in southern Illinois, and then immediately across the river in Missouri along there. Like he didn't go deep into like the Ozark Mountains, but just like what was. What I mean, was to be fair, you know, nobody knows where stuff is yet. No, they they, so, they don't. They're just trying. He's trying his best. Um. So yeah, he shows it. up. Fort Deschard is already there. I assume there's some native people still mm-hmm. vibing in the area. Um, he starts up these mines. He obviously does not find silver. Um, he does find, however, uh, a lot of lead. Oh, <laughs> treasure. Which is very valuable as well, just not the same kind of value. Um, and, like, to this day, like, that region of Missouri that's directly across the river from the Fort Deschard area is, like, known for its lead mining. Like, like, that's what, like, um, Bontair mines that you can scuba dive in now. Lead mine. There's a lot of galena in the area, <laughs> which is, like, you can really find. Huh? I don't think it's safe to scuba dive in there. Yeah. Then. No, it is. No. It's, like, it's, it's considered open water scuba diving. That's how big the, the But it was lead. Is. How is that safe? Don't drink it. Lead exposure is not immediate, Audrey. You don't, like, to eat a But it's getting in your, it's getting die. in your pores. Yeah, and if you scuba dive there once, no. you're fine. I'm not... <laughs> I'm not I don't doing know if that. that one is specifically a lead mine. There's also a lot of <clears throat> iron that's mined down there. Yeah, that's why there's Iron County that's where Pilot Knob is. Yeah. <laughs> um. Anyway, so he does still get to use all of these enslaved people in his mines. They're just lead mines now. Um. There's like a lot of coal mining down there, but that's not what he was mining. Um. So in the 1926 French census, the region is recorded. Seventeen. Nineteen. What? Oh, 17. I'm sorry. 1726. Oh, like, wow. We're we skipped. still way back <laughs> like, in These time. people are immortal. So in 1726, <laughs> the French census, because this, this area is under French control, um, shows that the the area around Fort de Chartres has 126 enslaved people of African ancestry. 129. 129. Good night. The 26th is in the same line, and <laughs> my brain is not working I was today. like, where are you getting these numbers? Let's start again. <laughs> In the 1726 French census of the region, which is Illinois, like, that's the region, um, well, I guess more specifically Madison County, Monroe County, it's Monroe County, um, there's 129 enslaved people of African ancestry recorded in their paperwork. It doesn't mean there wasn't more, that's just, yeah, that's, that's the base, all that there's got. at least that many, Yeah. Um, which is... Like, it's, it's a wild that there's such a big discrepancy in the numbers that they think he may or may not have bought and brought here. How many did they say that he had bought? Between 200 and 500. Oh, wow. And I really feel did like... Did they all die between that time? Here's the thing. Or that just not possible. recorded? They could not be recorded. He could have sold them elsewhere. He uh-huh. didn't actually need that many. So that's why it's like we still don't so know. I, Even from this number, away. you don't know what what is... What is... This is not... Oh, wait. He only bought that many? You don't know that. Yeah. Anyway... Um, this also doesn't include numbers from the Missouri side of the river. Okay. 
since he was also mining over there, it's worth noting. Yeah. Um, so anyway. French colonies had regulations on how enslaved people and colonists could interact. It was a very specific, like, set of rules. It was called Louisiana uh, Code Noir. Um, and it, I don't know how equally it was or was not enforced, but it did exist. And I do know it did affect some things that happened. Um, like how people did and did not react to certain things. So I'm going to read some of the rules because I read through a lot of them. Article 54 of the code um, includes regulations like the expulsion of Jews from the colony. Oh. Um, all forms of religion other than Roman Catholicism are illegal. Um, so if an enslaved person is enslaved by a non-Roman Catholic, then the enslaved person can freely be taken from them. Oh. Um, Sunday is a religious holiday and must be observed. That includes no work for enslaved people on these days. And if, if enslaved people are found working on holy days, the enslaver will lose their enslaved person. Interesting. Again, I don't know how well these were, were not upheld, but I do know in some areas they were, um, based on my tour guide, who was Roby, the guy who was yeah. quoted in that article, um, talking about, um, like, like how Vodou was, they got Sunday off. In yeah. This, in the city of New Orleans specifically, most enslaved individuals did get Sunday off based on my tour guide, Roby Gilmore. <laughs> um, uh, interracial marriage was forbidden, um, as was the rape of black women. Um, this was phrased as to live in a state of concubinage, concubinage, to have concubines, um, and that the enslaver would be punished with the loss and he would no longer have any right to the enslaved individual or the child that their relationship produced. And also the enslaved individual and the child would be freed. Um, again, don't know how often it was enforced, but it was an option technically. So a whole bunch <clears throat> of, there's a whole, so many marriage rules, so many specific marriage rules. Um, children always follow their mother. And what that means is like, if the mother is enslaved, um, the child will be enslaved. But if the mother is free, then the child is free, even if their father is enslaved. Yeah. Um, all Christian practicing enslaved people are required to be buried in consecrated grounds by their enslaver. So they, they have the right to a uh, proper burial. Enslaved people are forbidden from carrying weapons or heavy sticks without written permission from their enslavers. I only wrote that one because I liked that heavy sticks heavy was sticks. very specifically included in that. They, um, these are also every single one of these agree is paraphrased. That's a I have paraphrased all of all of yeah. the legal language that was already translated from French. Um, enslaved people who were enslaved by different people were forbidden to gather together for any reason. So if like Joe Schmo is this person's enslaver and Jan Smith is the other person's uh -huh. enslaver, they're not allowed to gather in a group because that's how you like start conspiracy. Yeah. Conspiring. <laughs> I assume that's the reason. Um, enslavers were prohibited. No, required. That's the opposite. <laughs> enslavers were required to properly feed, clothe, and generally provide for the people they enslaved. And inhuman treatment was technically illegal. I, what that specifically means, they didn't specify. 
like what is is and is not where's the line between human mm-hmm. and inhuman enslaved people were allowed disability leave hmm. which is not even employees they're supposed to but they don't necessarily give it do now and the enslavers were obligated to seek medical attention for them they're also allowed like geriatric leave like once you were too old you didn't have to and if you were like a child you didn't have to and if you yeah. just had a kid you didn't have to like technically again who knows if these were enforced um but these are the written rules that i didn't know existed no i've um, never heard of any of these yeah there were a total of 44 regulations in article 54 and i stopped reading after 26 so there might have been more interesting things but i really yeah. didn't my my attention span flew away um so that's that's the legal history we're dealing with which is all this is all relevant i'm telling you this for a reason it's, yeah. it's important for you to know the legal history so now we're going to start um now we're going to start talking about uh voodoo to some extent so voodoo is a legitimate religion um with one creator god i might butcher this but i'm going to try it anyway it's i think it's um bondi that's what i was going to say it's b-o-n-d-y-e and i think that's bondi um there's also a pantheon of other spirits in this religion and they're often called either iwa or um orishas and that depends on like where you're from which words you use um and then there's also a whole bunch of like you know legitimate like consistent rituals like it's not not like just random things people are doing um it has a lot of natural overlap with catholicism and whether that's because like it influenced catholicism or vice like it could be the reason they overlap is because there's influence coming from either side or it's just also there's a pretty limited number of formats religions come in <laughs> yeah anyway um it's believed to have existed in west africa for you know at least six thousand years like the original religion um an important aspect of this religion is ancestor worship, as you cannot communicate directly with the, the spirits, the Iwar, the, or the um, Orishas. You have to communicate through your deceased family member, and then they can, like, relay the message. Those enslaved people who practiced Vodou used Catholic saints as a guise to be able to continue praying and making offerings to the Iwa. Mm-hmm. Um, because they could almost always, like, match up an Iwa that does this thing and a saint, you know, saints all have like a purpose. They all have a yeah. thing you pray to them for. And so do these, these, these other spirits. So they're just like, well, that's, they're the same person. This is just a different format. Right. You know, that's another um, thing growing up. I always thought like anybody that was Catholic, they'd be like, well, this is the saint of this. this and, this. and I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I did not learn anything about any of those people. I was like, you're. Yeah. If you're, if you're not Catholic, it's wild. <laughs> I was like, I don't think that's real. <laughs> Like, when I was, when we were, we, we did um, Catholic League uh, softball, yep. Audrey and I, mm-hmm. and they always did a prayer before the games, and, the, like, the kids would have to lead it, and they would always choose the Mary prayer. Yeah, I don't even like the know Mother what Mary, it was called. Grace, the Lord is with mm-hmm. thee, blessed are thou amongst women, blah, 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 Whatever. Um, and I was, like, when I was little once, I asked dad, because our, our dad went to Catholic school, like, for much of his education, um, we're, like, why are they praying to like this false idol? This Mary, like we knew who Mary was, we knew who they were praying to, but it was wild to us that you would pray to anybody other than just like directly reporting to the Lord and Savior, right? But I mean, I remember like, you know, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I never knew what direction to do it in. 
the, the but everybody thing. else, yeah, everybody no, else I, did, I and I was just like flailing my arm around. No one taught you how to do it. I was like, I don't know. I was looked. I was always looking around at everybody. Me seeing, too. Like, I was like watching them. Why do you? Why do they all? Yeah. <laughs> Catholicism is anyway, weird. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, it's and if you want to know more, that's that's my basic summary of Vodou. If you want to learn more, it's really interesting. And I, I had to go find that article where uh, Roby was being quoted because he was my tour guide on Vodou in New Orleans, uh-huh. and I couldn't like just. I didn't want to say that, oh, my tour guide in New Orleans told me these things yeah. because they're considered an Here's authority. Here's what I remember, yeah. Like, like they are, they are like, a priest <clears throat> in their, re- like, they have an authority position in their religion. They actively practice it. Like, they're a member of the community. Like, they've been raised in it. And I, yeah. I was like, hey, wait, wait, I, fa- I know who they are. I know who they are. Here, if you want to check them out, there you go. They, they have an Instagram. <laughs> so the point is, the slave population was pretty sufficiently able to disguise their own religions of Catholicism and not, like, get in trouble under the law, yeah, right? Yeah, so they were still able to practice um, their... So there's not, like... Like, obviously, later, you... People didn't have to hide it as much. Yeah. Um, so they... Like, that's why we know it is a religion. It's not just still disguised as Catholicism, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> so according to the Complete History of Illinois, which is a book, um... The- <laughs> Sounded like you were going somewhere else with that. <laughs> the uh, French feared certain older African descended people as they were believed to have the ability to invoke evil and mischief of a person um, or property. So, like, you know, they're aware of the rituals and they think they have power. Um, one such woman named Jeanette, who lived near Cahokia, Illinois, uh, was so feared that both adults and children would run from her when she approached. Which is, that's, that's how I'm trying to be. for that. <laughs> that's how I'm trying to be. Um, the level I think of, it's working so far. <laughs> the level of superstition that the French and their descendants, like, stayed in the area, that was so notable that Theodore Roosevelt, like, the president, uh-huh. <laughs> wrote, um... No, wrote our dog. <laughs> yeah, our dog. <laughs> Who else? <laughs> I mean, Roosevelt's not just, a, just for him. <laughs> Nobody else thinks of anybody else other than Theodore Roosevelt when you say that name. Okay. We all picture his glasses and his smile, okay? In his mustache, yes. (laughs) Anyway, so in his book, um, The Wedding of the West, he writes about how everyone in in, like this particular region of Illinois, all these French descendants, were like really firm believers in witchcraft and sorcery, like right down to the priests. Like everybody, the authority from the top to bottom, everyone was like, yeah, it's all real. Anyway, um,. It's also wild, because, like, when you consider what, like, Catholics, like, the rituals Catholics do, and I don't mean, like, the normal church ones. I mean, like, burying saints in your yard so that, like, you either sell your house faster or your neighbors will move. Yeah. Um, or, like, waterboarding your saints, like, putting them in mm-hmm. water upside down so they're, like, forced to answer your prayers sooner. And I'm not saying all Catholics do this. I do know that there are Catholics that actively do this as part of their religion, though. Yeah. Like, they do things like that. So it's wild to me that they're really freaked out by any other, like, rituals like that, right? <laughs> well, because if it isn't something you do, it's scary. That's just how people are. But I'm assuming these are also, like, these Catholics are doing this still. And maybe that's part of it. They're like, no, we do it. So if you're doing it, it's real. Yeah. Like, all of it's real because we're, ca- yeah. we're all participating in mm-hmm. this in this vibe. <laughs> I think it's probably something more like that. Yeah. Um, so now we're going to get to... No, wait. We have one more um, history tidbit for legal reasons. Not like our legal reasons, but like 
so what happens in the story makes more sense. So in 1763, that's the correct date, right? Yes. <laughs> the Illinois, um, the Illinois country was ceded to Great Britain in the Treaty of Paris, and I literally mean like the Illinois portion of the Louisiana Purchase that was not part of the later Louisiana Purchase because it had already been given to Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Like, they gave the Illinois half of the French holdings to Great Britain in the Treaty of Paris. Can we once again give Illinois away, please? <laughs> <laughs> Someone else take that from us. <laughs> so after, um, and then after the Revolutionary War, Virginia takes control of the territory because, like, the 13 original colonies just sort of got everything west of them. Yeah. After the Revolutionary War. So, they controlled the West, not West, Virginia controlled, because it was just one big Virginia at the time. There was no West Virginia yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Controlled the territory until 1784 when it, like, is made into another group. I don't know if that's made into the state of Illinois at that point or if it's another territorial delineation. I don't know. But Virginia specifically doesn't control it after 1784. So, Virginia's policy with dealing with all of their newly acquired acquired regions, which were all had different forms of government because a whole bunch of different, you know, the Spanish had had some, the French had had some, the English had had some, some were just native populations. Um, not that that counted in this, but um, anyway, their general rule was just apply the laws that the inhabitants were accustomed to. Um, and then on like really extreme circumstances like murder or treason, then we'll get a final say. In court, right? Yeah. Otherwise, just like apply the laws you know, because they didn't want to like you know flip everything on its head and have another revolution on their hands in the western regions of their territories, right? Okay, so that's where we are. So that means French rules are being applied at the story I'm about to tell. <laughs> so according to traditional Illinois lore, the first execution in the territory was of an enslaved man named Manuel, who was burned to death for practicing witchcraft on June fifteenth. 1779 near Kaskaskia, Illinois. Um, this was said to be recorded by Colonel John Todd's John Todd in his record book. Um, he was the first civil governor of the Northwest Territory, which is what Illinois was included in, I guess. I don't know. I didn't look him up. I didn't care. Uh, so the book was said to say that the enslaved man named Manuel um, who made a dishonorable sign on the door of a church was arrested for practicing voodooism, which would be a different religion than Catholicism, yes. therefore illegal. Okay. Um, he was sentenced June 13th, 1779, um, by Todd to be chained to a post and burned alive with his ashes scattered. And two oh. days later, Sheriff Richard Winston carried out the ghastly execution. This sentencing was given by a French, by a court of French judges who, according to Virginia policy, were allowed to deal with their affairs according to French codes. Um, and this is why such a punishment was given for this because apparently burning at the stake was what you did for that particular offense. That That's the alleged, that's the legend, and that was like the long-standing legend. However, the real story is not the same. Cool. Which is usually the case in most of the things we cover when it's, it's called like folklore. Folklore, yeah. yeah. We, we do a lot of folklore. Folklore. Um, so the real records of events were eventually located. Part of the problem was that we did not. We had like a vibe of the real record, but not the actual ones. 
So the original sentencing, the judges in the original sentencing, like the real original sentencing, the um, documented one, the judges had found Manuel and a second enslaved person, um, Maru. Moreau? I think it's Moreau. E-I-U, like Bo. Yeah. Moreau. Um, They found them guilty of murdering by poison their enslavers, Mr. and Mrs. Nicole. Um, And their sentencing was to be burned at the stake, an acceptable punishment for the crime according to both French and Virginia law of the time. Um, Either way, Lieutenant Command, Lieutenant Commandant of the County of Illinois, John Todd, the previously mentioned John Todd, but yeah. with his full title, um, did change the sentencing to hanging by the neck rather than being burned at the stake. Because, again, no one had been burned at the stake yet. Are we going to start now? Probably not. <laughs> um, and that's the real story, is these slaves seem to have murdered their enslavers and then were sentenced to be burned at the stake, but then were just hanged on the correct okay. date. The date was right the whole okay. time, which is a wild thing. Yeah, that's pretty That's pretty crazy. <laughs> So, How do you remember that, but nothing else? Probably because the other stuff is more fun to just spread as a rumor. Right, exactly. Um, what is fun, though, is that the case was researched in depth by Teddy Roosevelt at one point. Um, and he, but he did not... He I was not the Teddy one Roosevelt. who located... Like, it took a long time for them to locate the original records. Like, he was not... He didn't even find it. And that's... Yeah. Um, he even wrote, like, a big thing about how French priests controlled Catholic Illinois and they were burning people at the stakes for witchcraft. Go was, off, Teddy. It was just, like, Puritan Massachusetts. Like, he wrote a whole <laughs> thing on that. Which is, like, I didn't I find love that anywhere. So I didn't much. read it, but it's so... He's iconic. The, well, this, this was his hobby when he retired. Was He was a, he became, like, a hobby True historian. Crime. No, he was just a hobby historian. <laughs> he was just, like, reading wild... He was going through, like, records of yeah. wild things that happened in, like, the American West. Because wild things happened in the American West. We cover a lot of the wild things that happened yeah. in the American West. Um, There's a lot of crazy things that happen that no other podcasts cover. Because everybody just wants to cover every other murder and whatever that happens in California. We've heard enough. I prefer the old stuff because... We've all heard of Ted Bundy. We've all heard of the Night Stalker. There's documentaries out for both of them. And, like, there's little wild... Stop beating the dead horse. Little wild local things that are, like, fun to cover now and again. But I like the older stuff, too, because there's, like... I love old stuff. I don't know. I just like old stories because, like... Like we say in our... I think we've said it before. Like, they're just, like, forgotten stories. Mm -hmm. And no one... They are forgotten. Everybody wants to know more of stories where people are still attached to them for some reason, which I think that's kind of weird. It's gross. Like, my story's older, but not, like, super old. Like, I'm pretty sure this person's siblings are still alive, so, like, there's obviously still people attached Mm -hmm. to it, but... It's still, to me, like, especially with the lack of articles that are on it, it still seems like something that's more forgotten than, like, you know, the serial killers that everybody talks about and everybody knows Mm -hmm. and, like, whatever. Like, obviously, it's fun to learn, like, if one of them, like, the Golden State Killer, he just got caught. So, like, yeah, you can go over everything that he did. Mm Mm-hmm. As an episode, but, like, well, I'm like, just not about things. all the story. I, like, I, obviously we've told stories that other people have told, but I like to try and find stuff that's less covered. Mm-hmm. Well, if I ever came, if anybody ever gave us feedback and they're like, gosh, I really wish there was just, like, less focusing on more modern victims. Yeah. Like, it's absolutely an option to cover the terrible things someone has done and then protect the identity of the people it's done to. Yeah. You know, like, we can change names if that's something that anyone ever requested, yeah. if anyone ever actually listened. <laughs> yeah. If Or gives us feedback. Or gave us feedback, even. Find if the one listener on the Instagram. we have is like, hey, I don't like that you do this, like... Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we can't know to change, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
But if you try to cyberbully us, good luck. Ain't gonna work. I'm 23 and that don't work on me. <laughs> anyway. So my story today is about Donna Doll. And I got my information from northernstar.info, medium.com, and the chicagotribune.com. So in high school, Donna was never wild. This is according to, um, I think like her best friend at the time. Um, and she was known to be very innocent. Um, as a teen, she took care of her younger brother and sister and also took care of most of the chores around the house. She also wasn't able to go out too much because of these responsibilities of taking care of her So she was like aggressively parentified? Yes. So, when she went off to college, Northern Illinois University, her life changed. She finally had freedom and everything. So, she began to have time for dates and was able to spend time with her friends. Um, she was at school on a scholarship and worked weeknights at the... Oh, I think that's a typo. Maybe it isn't. Swen Parson Library? It's the campus library. Um, so, she was studying Russian. Which I thought that was strange. Um, And she hoped to get a job teaching Russian or being an interpreter. She attended Middlebury Middlebury, College Mm -hmm. in Pennsylvania in the summers of 1969 and 1970 to earn credits towards a master's degree. On October 2nd, 1970, Donna clocked out of the library at 9.59 p.m., which, that would have really bugged me, and I would have stood there until 10. Because I used to do that at Bubble Tea if it wasn't an even number. I don't know why, but it really <laughs> bugged me. Um, she had plans to meet Donna... Oh, goodness. Charlotte? Sure. Char- I have to say her name a lot more, so... Um, because they're both named Donna, so I couldn't keep saying Donna and Donna. Anyway, Donna I just think that Donna. was funny, because Mom had a best friend named Heidi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anyway, back in the day, people used to all have the same name. Four names. Um, so she had plans to meet her best friend, Donna, for the first time that fall. Um, they had been friends since eighth grade, and they were going to catch up with each other since um, Donna Dahl had been at school in Pennsylvania for that summer. And how did I say her name? Charlotte? Sure. Had just gotten married. And uh, Donna was a bridesmaid in Donna's wedding. Mm. But anyway, so they hadn't really seen each other too much that summer, so they were finally catching up. Um, Charlotte said, quote, We hadn't gotten together yet because of schedules and other things. We were going to get together and talk for a while and get some coffee somewhere. We were supposed to meet at the library. I was supposed to pick her up, and we were going to to talk about the summer and what ha- what had gone on, but she wasn't there. Oh, no. Um... So, Donna wasn't at the library, and she also did not return to the West Lincoln Highway, right? The West Lincoln Highway Roaming House? I guess. Could have also been a typo. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That night where she lived. Um, So, no one really thought too much of it, because, you know, it's Mm -hmm. college. Um, But she didn't show up all weekend, and two days later, at 11.30 p.m. on October 4th, her house parents reported her missing to DeKalb police. Which, house parents, like, threw me off. Because I was like, wait, isn't she at, like, a a dorm? Yeah. But I was like, mm, I guess. Sorority style. I think I things like that used to be more common. Yeah. Having a... No, it would be, like, the... the an RA. An RA, right? but, like, an adult yeah. human. 
So her, I mean, they are raised for adults, but they're only like what twenty three, twenty four, like my adults. age. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, adulty adults, <laughs> like forty plus. <laughs> so her room was searched. Her clothes and suitcase were all there, um, and so was her prescription allergy medication. Um, she had a constant runny nose and weepy eyes, so she had to take them mm-hmm. every single day. Like it wasn't something she would leave if she left. Yeah. Um. And also her last paycheck from the library was there, which was still uncashed, so she would have only had about $10 on her, Mm -hmm. which isn't, you know, enough to travel anywhere too far. Um, They also discovered that she had a boyfriend in Pittsburgh who she met that last summer while she was away at school. Um, After learning this information, police thought that she might have gone to visit this boyfriend. Charlotte, the best friend, told police that this boyfriend was married or recently separated and that Dahl's parents were known to be strict, so it made sense to police that she may not have told anybody that she was going to visit this man. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, she didn't want to get in trouble with her parents and maybe this man's identity didn't want to be, you know, found out or whatever. So, at this point, police didn't have uh, much of a reason to suspect foul play. Um, She wasn't treated as, like, a runaway or anything. She was just treated as an adult who Mm -hmm. left, you know, on her own accord. Um, But two days after... After two days of Donna being missing, um, it soon turned into nine. And that's a a way... (laughs) Way bigger gap than just... Mm -hmm leaving and leaving everything you have behind. So the Chicago Tribune and the DeKalb Journal ran stories about her disappearance. During this time, the Dahl family received several strange phone calls. Charlotte said someone called six or seven times and said, quote, I know where your daughter is. That's too many times. And that's all they would say. (laughs) Um, Well, and it's also weird because, like, if everybody really does just assume that she just left... Yeah, why, why, are would these, say, yeah. why are we getting suspicious calls? So, on we October... We didn't have to call at all, bud. They just yeah. thought she had done the adult thing and I mean, unless something. in the paper they were like, help us, you know, we think she's been murdered. That but, I mean, sense. I don't yeah. know. I didn't, I didn't see the articles of what... I didn't find them. But anyway, so on October 11th, around 8.30 p.m., three teenagers were on their way to a party in DeKalb and drove out to Nelson Road to pick up some beer that they had stashed there about a week before. As teens do. <laughs> So, Jim Ball, one who was one of the three teens, walked through the tall grass when he saw the outline of a body lying on its back under a tree about five feet away from where he was. All his teens are joggers. Um, without him, how would we find them, people? We wouldn't. So, <laughs> the two girls with him did not see it, and he told them both to get back into his Pontiac station wagon. Um, they drove, which is like, I'm Go very ahead. surprised he didn't go up and like investigate and be like, you guys... I think there's a dead body over there. But anyway, so... He's like, ooh, this is, uh, this is how my friend's dad... Yeah. Who <laughs> <We gotta> go? <laughs> so they drove to the DeKalb Police Department to report the body, and the police followed them back to Nelson Road, which I think it's kind of funny yeah, that he... Job, he bought them right to it, but... Uh, that's definitely a 70s thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> please take it was me like back. right here. Please take me back to, so you can relive your trauma oh, no, of finding gonna, a dead body. I'm going to be texting you with a little point yes. on my phone. <laughs> I, I dropped a pin. Dropped it. Here's the pin. Um, so police discovered that the body was fully clothed and only her shoes were missing. She had a jacket on, but it was not the trench coat that she had on when she was last seen at the library. 
Her shoes, trench coat, and purse were never found. Um, by... It's like she took them off somewhere. Uh, yeah, I don't... And, like, that's where the bad thing happened. So, by 3 a.m. on Monday, police knew that they had found Donna Dahl. A friend of Donna's, Charles Burke, identified the body. The two had previously dated, according to Char- Charlotte. Was this the most convenient person for them to find? That's what I thought was body? pretty weird. Like, why wasn't it the best friend? We're introducing a new character. Why wasn't it <laughs> the parents? I don't know. But anyway, so before her body was found, a search party that had been organized by Charles um, and some of Donna's friends in the NIU Foreign Language Department had walked along the railroad tracks west of DeKalb and they ended their search about a quarter mile short of where she was found. Which I think that's suspicious, but, you know. It's like, no, look, we looked over here. We Uh, tried our best. So, um, Nelson Road was a popular spot for, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to say NIU. Um, NIU students to drive to to park and drink. The dorms at the time weren't co-ed, so it was a lot of, like, road partying that they did, is what Mm -hmm. they said. (laughs) Which I don't, I've never heard the term road partying, but. Does that just mean in cars? Along the road? <laughs> Does that just mean drinking, drinking and, driving? and driving? Yeah, I was like, what are we doing, guys? So, according to a 1970 article in the Daily Chronicle, Donna had been alive for at least 48 hours after disappearing. Um, pathologists determined she had been suffocated with a pillow or plastic bag, even though no fibers were found in her lungs or airways, which is usually consistent with suffocation so like normally there's fibers from whatever they were struggling to breathe yes so that's strange unless like she wasn't struggling to breathe did that affect that at all i was gonna say the only thing i can think is maybe they're asleep and they're deep sleepers so like they didn't wake up by that but i know your brain you just pinch their nose wakes you up yeah so i'm like i don't know and but whatever she's drugged, that might be a different thing yeah that's true um, mysterious, quote, mysterious substances were found in Dahl's partly decomposed body, but pathologists were unable to identify or explain their presence. So I don't know if that means... Like, was she drugged? Or were yeah. they just, like, odd medication? Well, yeah, I'm like... I don't, some blood paint? I don't like. know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know. Did she drink antifreeze? Uh, so anyway, so Donna have any visible signs of violence so no struggle no like she wasn't beaten to death um which you know indicated that she most likely knew her attacker um an observation made by officials was that she had eaten an abnormal amount of potatoes before her death about five or six pounds that's so many potatoes that's, that's this is what stood out to me videos. and made me want to cover this because they said like deceased person had eaten five or six pounds of potatoes before their death and I was just like how did <laughs> I was like <laughs> but then I was like wait so she's studying Russian <laughs> don't they eat a lot of potatoes I have no clue <laughs> I think they do they really strike me more as cabbage people based I mean, on the things I ate while I was cabbage in and potatoes <laughs> but anyway. I mean, to me, that says something. I guess it... I mean, everybody else is like, yeah, it's kind of weird. But, like, to me, I'd be like, where... She's really practicing. Where does she source these potatoes? Russia? I don't know. That's... I, 
What does she normally eat? Is what I like to know. Just potatoes. Like, She's, she she would be on like the World's Strangest Eaters TLC show. Like my yeah, my strange like, addiction. I, only, I like, eat five or six pounds of potatoes, potatoes a day. She just eats plain potatoes. Yeah, so I don't know, but um, after the discovery of Donna's body, the town was freaked out, rightfully so. Um, no one understood how something like this could happen. It was a quiet town that was safe. It was in a rural area. You know, the typical mm-hmm. things like this don't happen here. Um, and obviously homicides in this kind of location were very uncommon. Yeah. And the county didn't even have a morgue. Um, that's, 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 so, that's pretty common, actually. Yeah. but <laughs> For them not So to everyone thought that maybe there was a serial killer roaming the streets but from the night that Donna was found, the police said that they had a prime suspect. Donna had recently broken off a relationship. However, police started um, with this and circled away from it into every direction, every other direction, mm. um, looking for another explanation. But there was nothing else they could find. Like, she doesn't have any enemies. She's mm-hmm. not, like, mm-hmm. a hated person. No one envies her, whatever. Um, Donna had recently broken up with the young man, <coughs> Charles Burke. Um, Charlotte called Donna's first, who Charlotte had called Donna's first boyfriend. So this is the first person she started dating when she Mm -hmm. had gone to college. Yeah. So Charlotte said that, um, she had gotten letters that Donna wrote at summer school saying how she planned on ending her relationship with her first boyfriend, Charles. Um, Donna was interested in the man from Pittsburgh that this recently divorced, whatever man. Um, and he planned to visit her at... NIU. It's NIU, right? Okay. NIU over Halloween. Okay, so police said Charles might have had a motive to keep his girlfriend from motive, right? I don't know. Anyway, so police are thinking that Charles didn't want his girlfriend to break up with him. Uh-huh. So instead, you know, kill her. <laughs> you know, as they do. It, it was a possessive motive. Yeah, so... I can't have you, no one can. Yes. So Charlotte said Donna's first boyfriend, Charles, was a possessive jerk. Um, a nerd who did not have an intellect that matched Donna's. So, so on top like, of... Yeah, so, like... Being possessive, he also was mad that Donna was smarter than him. Yes. Which is definitely a motive for people to kill, because yeah, people that, men that's, are unstable. That's definitely been recorded before. Is um, <laughs> he lived alone in an apartment in... Um, an apartment at Suburban Estates, close to the spot on Nelson Road where Donna's body was found. Coincidence? I think not. Charles never confessed confessed he served as a pallbearer which that's a big red flag to me at her funeral um and donna was buried wearing a pair of earrings that he had given her that's That's all far too much for me because like you know how they they say like like, they return to the scene of the crime and they go they attend the funeral if it's public they do this that yes they want to be a part of the search for them like Put it There's a reason the police thought he was a suspect, for sure. So, um, as said in the article from 1989, quote, These days, the prime suspect is a senior consultant at a large Chicago bank. He spends his days designing computer systems that knew number crunching. Do they mean as in, that's um, what Charles does now? I think so, but they didn't say who it was. They said the prime suspect. They said the police like, had a prime a suspect. Never said it was Charles, none of this, but like... That's the only person it could be if they're thinking it's her boyfriend. Unless there's a different boyfriend at the college they never mentioned anywhere. Uh-uh. So, anyway. The day the sheriff announced to the press that there was a prime suspect in the case, he 
<clears throat> Charles tried to slit his wrist, and before checking out of the University Health Service at 4 a.m., he retained Ed Dietrich as his lawyer. Now, why would you do that? Just for you no... You just read Dietrich as Dietrich? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sounding it out. Okay. Dietrich. Anyway, that's his name. Um, so the doll murder remains a mystery, surviving in two binders and a box full of documents at the DeKalb County Sheriff's Office. DeKalb County Sheriff Roger Scott said, quote, We keep it open with the hopes that somewhere along the line, something will materialize that will make a difference. And that is the story of Donna Dahl. Um, and it's sad it's that suspicious. it's still open. But, I mean, I assume that this Charles man did it. I could be wrong, but all, mean, swings, all, swings, all, all signs point to him, I in just, my opinion. The, the shoes, the person, the coat, having been, it, to me, feels like they were removed. She removed them herself. There's no struggle. She was comfortable with enough to remove her shoes in. Uh-huh. So she would know the killer, right? Uh-huh. There's no struggle. She may or may not have been drugged. That seems yeah. to be inconclusive. Yeah, that didn't... <laughs> mysterious substances. Was it lead chips? Was it a weird amount of potatoes? Was it both? <laughs> the toxins from the potatoes. Was it raw potatoes? I think those are bad for Those are bad for amounts. you. Yeah. It's actually died from potato poisoning. She was forced with potatoes. Like what? How it's do you just eat a five, real... six pounds of potatoes? I'm actually more stuck on that yes. than anything Well, that's else. why I wanted to cover the case because I saw that and it stuck out to me and then I was like, it's an unsolved case. It's a strange death. So weird. It's just weird. So anyway, um, if anybody has any any information on Miss Donna Dahl's death, um, Contact tell the DeKalb, DeKalb police. County police. Yep. Or the town. Police, I think. No, I don't know if it's DeKalb town or county or both. Oh, I don't know. Probably both. I assume if you search it, you'll figure it out yes. on the Google. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, try not to eat five to six pounds of potatoes. I don't think that's healthy. Um. And try not to kill anybody and don't mess with Ouija boards. Bye. Bye. <laughs>